this morning, we want to talk about family discipleship. The temptation is that for those of us who are single, we might think it doesn't apply to you. But it does apply to you. It's not all of us, I'm I'm presuming that almost every of the singles, I'm presuming that almost everybody would like to get married someday. And I remember when we were in JHS, you know, those who say, Charles is tough. I remember one guy, he said, he will never marry. He was going to go to babies, he doesn't want to come close to babies. Where is he now? He's married long time. So there are moments when, as in JHS, for me, I don't like women, I will marry. But when I look at your faces, that's all of I'm not sure there's anyone who intends not to marry. <laughs> I'm not seeing that. So this applies to all of us. It's a foundational and important thing in the life of the church and in our homes. And what we think about it this morning. So Deuteronomy 6. So the book of Deuteronomy is actually Moses' sermon. From chapters 1 to 33. So Moses preached for 33 chapters. You are lucky today, we are preaching for just about 12 verses. It's really that long. So in Exodus, God had had a covenant with the people, and the generation that God had had a covenant with, they have all died. And Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, second. So it's a restating of the laws. And the interesting thing is that Moses spoke to this generation as though they were the original people God had made a covenant with them. So in chapter 5, he tells them that it was not with your ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. They were not there, but so far they were part, they are part of the people of God. Moses said the covenant that happened at Sinai applies to you. I'm speaking to you as though you are the original generation of people who were there at the mount when God had a covenant with them. The same for us. When Moses spoke to Deuteronomy, you were not there. We are like uh, Baumia, you and I, we are not there. But it applies to us directly. If you have come to believe in Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, these words also applies to you. It's a reappropriation of what has been said in the past. Verses 1 to 3 presents us with a motivation. These are the commands and decrees and laws the Lord of God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So we are about crossing the Jordan into the new land. So that your children and your children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commandments. In verse 2, we see a hint. Brothers and sisters, God is a generational God. God's genes with you is not meant to just stay with you. God is always talking about you, your children, and your children's children, generations. God is a generational God. God 
and the incentive for them giving out the commandment, so that you may enjoy long life. Immediately we see something about the law. Sometimes we are tempted to think that the law are just rules and regulations they are just supposed to obey, they have to force themselves to obey. But here in Deuteronomy it says that it is your life. You are my people. And as a response to be, to be able to enjoy the life I have for you, these are the regulations I'm giving to you. Here, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and all, and you, and that you may increase greatly in the land clothed with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of ancestors, promised. The motivation. You are going into the promised land to enjoy all the blessings that I have for you and giving you these regulations. The law was not a means that these people were going to be the people of God. No. It was a response to the people of God. Because they are people of God, God says, these are what we have to listen to. And at the heart of it, it talks about our focus for this morning. Family discipleship. This is what it says. Then go to the heart of it. We look at the surrounding verses later. These commandments six. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. On the Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and buy them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. The service specifically talks about the family discipleship, our purpose for this time. The laws I am giving to you said that. Impress them on the children. Impress them. So this was something casual. Giving this verb here, I think that sometimes people charge present parents with indoctrination. We seek to indoctrinate our children. Brothers and sisters, listen. You should be guilty as charged. From this verse here. This is an accusation you should all be guilty of. We don't tell them, oh no, uh, no, I'm not like that. We say, oh, you are right. I seek to indoctrinate If you don't, somebody else will. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. Inside and outside. Formally and informally. Structured and not structured. When you lie down and when you get up. From morning 
address them on your children. Remember, God is a generational God. So here in this context, for the faith of Israel to be perpetuated, for more as people coming along, people being born, they also holding on to their faith, it becomes the primary responsibility of the parents to pass on the faith of Israel. God's plan was that parents would disciple their children and it will be the primary means by which the faith of Israel will be passed on from generation to generation. But do you know something? Those who have done some research tell us the fastest growing commission in Christian homes is the passing on of the faith to our children. Sometimes we want to fight for preaching to be done in schools. You know, as a church, we are serious about it. We are taking the doors as we pray about it. We go to schools. But if those doors shut, the question is in our homes, are the doors to the gospel open? For us as Christians, Christian parents, people who have other children under our authority, according to scriptures, we have the primary responsibility of discipling the children. We want to be spiritual parents, not just physical parents. Great as physical parents, seeking to provide for them, care for them, taking them to the best of schools, working hard. Great! Even unbelievers do that. The challenge here is for us to make that transition and that pursuit from not just being physical parents, but spiritual parents. Passing on the faith to our children so that they can also pass it on to their children's children. God is a generational God and He's putting mechanisms in place for generations to be secure. There are two problems. Actually, there are three problems when it comes to doing this, the family discipleship. Two of them, I'll talk about two now and look at it very later. Two of them is this. As Christian parents, we sometimes seek to outsource the spiritual growth of our children to the church. Again, you know that as Redeemer, we are, we are big on children's ministry. We are praying for it, we are putting money into it, we are investing into it. it has, we have to have it. It has to be great. The gospel has to be there. But, the spirituality, the spiritual growth, the discipline of our, your children is not the primary responsibility of the human teachers. God has ordained that parents will have 
primary responsibility. Do not outsource the spiritual growth of your children to the church. Think about this in terms of hours. How long are they here? Once a week, maximum. Think about the contact hours with the teachers. It is not even up to one hour. No. They are there to provide a crucial and important service. All they should be doing is to be confirming what we have been telling the children. The primary responsibility for the discipling of our children is not to be outsourced to the church. So that we think that once we have brought them to church, then they can hear the gospel before God we have discharged our responsibility. So throughout the week, even if we don't do anything, as for Sunday, we tell them, Sunday, we go to church. And then we bring them to other people again. And then throughout the week, we are now Sunday, we go to church. You are outsourcing the spiritual growth of the school. God has ordained that parents should take the lead in this. Of course, this is not an individual affair, just parents affair. No, it's community affair. That is why you have the church support. But the church is only playing a supportive role. I can never be content, we should never be content that once we have brought our children here and they have heard the gospel, we have done. No. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. This is the privilege. So the first problem is we outsource the spiritual growth. But there's the second problem. Unconsciously, we have other goals for our children which we deem really important. An example would be educational goals. So that unconsciously, the most important thing we desire for our children is for them to come out first in their class. We have other goals than their spiritual development. So if they come home and they are excelling at our school, and I'll tell you parents, you are genuinely glad. But when you see signs of rebellion and the lack of love in Jesus, you are not as deeply prepared. As for that, when Pastor Abophilia is coming, all children are stubborn at some point. And that is true. But then, you are not allowed. You don't go down on your knees. That Lord, this cannot persist. But when your child comes home and the results have changed, it was A and is now going to C. So, you go to the school. You confront the teacher. What is happening? So, we are seeing, we are seeing that unconsciously we have other goals for our children, which are not the primary thing we desire for them. It's not their spiritual development, it's other developments. And you see, education can be a big trap for us. 
one mentor, he tells a story. He pastors in the world. A friend is telling they were, I think they were mates in senior high school. They have not seen themselves for a long time. So the friend is telling on campus and says, oh, oh, how are you? And he knew the child and the friend had a child. Oh, how's your child? Oh, he's good. And, and the, the only thing he was interested in though, is reading raw and the That was where the conversation was. My child is really young. I'm going to have a boy. As parents, I'm too happy if your child gets to do law instead of maybe some, some other thing. I don't mention it. Maybe your boss are right. We are happy. We want them to be doctors. We want them. Which parent will not be happy? But we are saying that unconsciously, that becomes the primary thing we are concerned about in the life of our children. We will move heaven and hell to get them, to get really good education for them. But when it comes to their spiritual development, we are doing this. Dear Moody is a preacher very long ago. There was this discussion. There were some children who were stealing bones and nuts from railroad tracks. They were thinking about solution, and some people said, "Let's just take them to school and give them a good education." Yes, well, we do that. But if somebody is stealing bones and nuts, give them a good education. When they come, they will steal the whole thing. They become more sophisticated. So two traps are sourcing the spiritual development or having other goals as priority. Placing premium on some other thing than the spiritual development. But the passage also presents us with a foundational thing when it comes to family discipleship. That's why it says that here, listen and be eager to obey. O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This primarily to the parents. You are to love the Lord with all your heart, with your soul, and with your strength. Verses, it says that these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Something that you have taken in. Verses 8, it says, Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. So it became, they took it quite literally. They had these small capsules that they put memory verses in and they tie it on some parts of their clothes. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So entering into a Jewish home, by the gates there were these small boxes where scriptures were in. Now the foundational thing in having family discipleship, family discipleship simply means training up our children to love and follow Jesus. The foundational thing, brothers and sisters, 
is not the imprisonment of them in our city. It's who we are. Parents who wish to raise dedicated children must first dedicate themselves to being disciples. I talk about two problems. This is a foundational issue. Your own discipleship as a parent is what is going to make the difference in discipling your children. should be on your heart. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You know, studies have shown that parents have the most significant influence on children. Of course, there are times when teachers want to challenge. There are times when I say, or do some homework, and I told them that what, like the mass or something was wrong. And I know. Teacher said, I, I didn't bother persuading her. I knew how we are teacher. So, teachers have an influence, and it tells us why. It's because of the time we are spending with them. But, parents, you have greater influence. And the primary way we influence them is who they see us to be. Your own discipleship as a parent is what is going to make the biggest impact in the life of our children. So you see that, brothers and sisters, the stakes are high. Remember, God is a generational God. In all that He's doing in your life, it's not just for you. also impact your children as they look at you. And the gospel is shaping and transforming you. It is, it is speaking loudly to the children. They will not be sleep on it. Your humility, your patience, your love, your brokenness, that will make upon their lives. Yes, we are supposed to talk. Perhaps in some, we have to have some structured way of teaching our children. Yes. But the foundational thing is your own discipleship. The role of the gospel in your own heart, your own transformation, your own spiritual growth, is the most important thing in family itself. So dear parents, let me ask you, how is your walk with Jesus? How are you growing as a disciple? Things are hard. It's not just you. No. It's not just you. How?
how are you growing as a disciple? How are you being transformed by the gospel? This is the most important factor. If we will succeed in training up our children to love and to follow Jesus. You know, here we don't baptize children because we believe that baptism should follow the proclamation of faith. So if you baptize people who are believers, other churches are different traditions. But what we do is get education. You remember when you brought your child forward that you were going to educate them. You remember some of the things you said. That you are going to model the gospel, that you are going to teach your children, that you are going to bring them out in the fear of the Lord. Those words, what place do they have in your heart? Did your discipline of your children end after the education? Sadly, sadly, in most cases, after dedication is benediction. We dedicated the children and we gave thanks. That is all. That dedication was you making a public proclamation that so as much as it depends on you, you are going to be an example to your children and raise them up in the fear of the Lord. Dear parents, you see what has happened. Once you brought a child into the world, you brought something to turn out which will never be extended. Let's think about it. Our cars have been invented after 10, 15 years. You don't even want to sit in the car. Our homes, after 30 years, For the child, the child is dependent. You brought something dependent into this world. And God said that you have a terrible responsibility in securing the eternity of the children. What we are seeing here is not a promise that once you are teaching the children the word of God, once that you are also growing in the gospel. Salvation is guaranteed. God has given them that promise. There are some great parents we know whose children are gone astray. But the Bible is telling you this that in God's plan, part of the ways that if your children will be saved, the people who play the most crucial role are the parents. So that as far as it depends on you, do what God has given you to do. Anybody who is never saved is saved by grace. You are not saved by your parents. Some of us, you can look back and you wonder, if this is the case, even how did I become one again? You don't remember any kind of good example from your parents, sadly, or any kind of Systematic teaching of the word. You don't, you don't remember anything. Yes, because anyone who is ever saved is saved by grace. And in addition to that, God tells you, as a parent, 
the way His grace is going to be made manifest is by you obeying what we see here in the Jeremiah chapter 6. So, let me apply this for some of us, perhaps uh, parents, your husband or your wife is not a Christian. So, you are thinking, how do you do this? That presents really a, a difficult and a challenging situation. Quite frankly. But it's not a hopeless situation for two reasons. Your children will get to see in the home the distinction between what is being changed by the gospel and what is living by the world. Before their eyes, they are going to see the contrast. So it's a really difficult situation, but it's not a hopeless situation. So that when they, they are thinking about the change and the difference the gospel makes in life, in the life of people, they are not, it will not be something theoretical out there. Even in your home, you can tell. The way God behaves and the way God behaves, so different. And I can see that it's because one of them is a follower of Jesus and the other is not. So in this painful context of a spouse not being a believer, there's also an opportunity there. But first Peter also says that by your example, talking about wives, you can win your husband over to your faith by your example. So there also present an opportunity. The children will see. So, assuming the husband was an unbeliever, drugs, alcohol, urbanizing, and by the wife's only contact, the husband becomes one Do you know what that does to the children? They see the change also the gospel brings. Like that, we know by the only time we we'll see him is in the morning when he's going to work. By the time he comes, he's drunk. He's changed. They begin to see also the power of the gospel if the spouse becomes perfect. So it's a painful and difficult situation, but it's not a hopeless situation. Dear parents, press on in your discipleship. For those of us who are not married, this speaks to us. The lady or the guy that you are pursuing or you are being pursued or you are pursuing, is he the kind of person with whom you can train up your children to love and follow Jesus? Choose wisely. Is he the kind of person that you can agree with? your children up, the eternal beings you will be bringing into this world. Raise them up to love and follow Jesus. Choose wisely. Before you have a choice, afterwards, you have a task. Choose 
and in the way you are conducting your relationship, what kind of parents do you think you will be? If you are not pursuing God, if you are not pursuing holiness, what kind of parents do you think you will be? So you see, the stakes are high. Pursuing holiness in your relationship is not just that it's nice. It's because of where you are going. You are going to be, you are going to bring some eternal beings, God willing, into this world. You want to have at, at the foundation of your relationship, holiness. You don't want to only tell your children your bad examples. No. You want to model to them the good answers. You want to be able to tell them as they also grow up and they are beginning to date. You tell them the challenges you face and how God helped you through. You want to tell them that the struggles and the reality of our passions how some moments your knees were knocking. But God saw it. That is going to be encouragement to your children. You don't want to get to a place where when they begin dating, you don't want to even remember when you were dating. You don't want to deprive them of the power of God in your life. The states. So how you are living now as a single person is important. Because one day you want to be a parent. The goals you have, do you have as your primary thing your own growth in the Christ likeness? Is it something you are pursuing? You know, as a single person, if you are not pursuing this, when you bring the eternal being into this life, it will not be your premium. The stakes are high. God is a generational God. So it's not just for you. It's not just for you. For those who are going to come after us. Jesus. So Father, we pray today in the name of Jesus.